it all cleaned up, and then Sunday morning, today, of, and we're going to wrap up Colossians chapter 1, it's really about the supremacy of Christ. And what that really means, guys, the supremacy of Christ means he's first in your life. He's preeminent. He's in a first position. And if he is, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. I, I, that's why I chose the title of this is Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus, because that is really the big message. You can trust Jesus in your friendships, in your family relationships, in your marital relationships, your church relationships, your business relationships, your career objectives, your outcomes in a, in a, in a, in a uh, trial, let's say a legal trial. It's so sweet when you can trust him, and that's really the height of Christian maturity, and that's where I'm going to end up today. I was thinking about what's the most mature thing of all? Is it the person that can quote the most scriptures? You know, you hear these people, and they know like 898 verses or the person that wins soul after soul after soul to Jesus. I think the greatest sign of maturity, y'all, is when you can say, I trust you, Jesus, with my all. That is maturity. Hey, Amen. You can clap for that. You're clapping for him, not me. Uh, take out your Bibles and open to Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to have a quick three-slide review of what we went over in detail on Wednesday night. And I'm reading from, chap from verse 15. He, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, and I put over all of creation. The King James says of, and a lot of cults have used that. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that in Greek. There is no of or over in Greek. It's just followed by what's called a genitive case of possession. Of all creation, 16, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, that are visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. I feel like I'm getting wound up here today. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. You can trust him, Diane, because he created the universe. And not only did he create the universe, y'all, he sustains the universe. He keeps things going. And that even extends down to your life and the things, the little things that seem so big to us that really probably are petty things in the whole scheme of things. But when they're big to us, they're big. And he is Lord over all of those things. 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And that is why it's so sweet to trust in Jesus. And then it says, and he is head of the body, the church. The body is us right now today. Who is the beginning? He's the firstborn from the dead. And I'll say he's the only one that was the firstborn that died that didn't ever die again, okay? Others were raised from the dead, we know, like Lazarus. That in all things he may have the preeminence. Lord, I pray that you would help us to hear your heart in this, in these words that were inspired by the Holy Spirit and written down, Lord, by the Apostle Paul, who is there in heaven with you this morning with Doug, and you're all together in that company. Lord, just help us to understand what you want us to get from your word in Jesus' name. Last Sunday, we talked about walking worthy. Do you all remember that? And I said, it's not about a big list of things you got to do to be worthy. Walking in a way where your walk meets your talk. Have you all ever heard that? Yeah, that guy walks the talk, right? When someone doesn't walk the talk, what does it say about them? They're a phony. 
right? They're a phony. But that walking worthy means you're walking comparable. That's the Greek word. They're comparable to what your talk is, comparable to your faith. Otherwise, you're just, you're just talking, and talking doesn't do anything. It's just talking. But when you're walking your talk, that is walking worthy of Jesus Christ. Then on Wednesday, I dwelt on Jesus being the very image of the Father. And uh, remember those that were there Wednesday, I said, that's the personal manifestation of the Father. Jesus was, came in physical form, Crystal, so that we would see all the fullness of Godhead in him. That was the purpose, okay? Jesus is then described by Paul as the firstborn, and there meaning the supreme position, and he's over all of creation. I wanted to mention uh, briefly on Wednesday, I talked about cults that are out there. Mormonism is a cult, okay? The Jehovah's Witnesses are cults. Lynn, you had it on both sides. Mom and dad were Jehovah's Witness and Mormonism. And and you search for the truth, and by gum, you found it. As, as, as Sam Robinson would say when he listens, boom shakalaka. Uh, yeah, and, and her parents came to the Lord, too. They were baptized in my swimming pool. The whole family did. You know, once you see the real thing, but the reason that Mormonisms, Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness are cults because they're a religious group that denies one or more of the fundamentals of biblical truth. Jesus was all God, y'all, and he was all man. And cults invariably try to diminish one thing. He's either not all God or he wasn't all man. They just can't deal with what the Word says because Paul tells us here that the fullness of the Godhead was in him. The fullness of the Father was in him. It was present. So on Wednesday night, we ended up, and I said, everybody there, you've got to make a choice. And here's the choice. I love this story where I can look at the next slide that's coming up. You must make your choice. Either this man, this is C.S. Lewis speaking, was and is the son of God, or else he was a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. And that's what your family did. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense. That means any silliness or goofy stuff about his being this great human teacher. If he came and he claimed to be God, then he's not good, right? He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. So Wednesday night I said, is Jesus preeminent in your life? He wasn't always preeminent in my life. Uh, I accepted him, and then I, I mean, some of y'all knew me when Jesus was just preeminent and part of my life. But daily by daily and moment by moment and, and over the years, I'm realizing that it's so sweet to trust in Jesus because it gets real old trusting in me. It gets real old, and it's not very comfortable. Paul said, for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And Paul tells us clearly there, and you'll pick up with me now in verse 19, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. And I've put in bold things that I want to comment on. And by him to reconcile all things to himself, okay? By him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace. How? Through the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated, we once were alienated, Michael, were no longer alienated, and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death 
And look at this. To present you as an old, horrible sinner? No. To present you holy and blameless, above reproach in his sight. When you come to the Lord and the Holy Spirit is in you, you are a new creation. You are presented holy and blameless, above reproach in God's eyes. All right? If indeed, and, and that's why we're supposed to live that way, live in a way that's worthy of who we really are. If indeed you continue in the faith, and he's saying this is how you stay grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So what I want to say is you and I can live a life that is not at war with the things of God. That's what it means to be reconciled with, with God. You're no longer at war with him. You can say, Lord, I'm trusting your Holy Spirit today to open the doors that need to be opened in my life. Sandy and I pray this every day. We didn't today, so I'm making a lie. We never got a chance. We we're out running around watering trees. But we pray, Lord, open up her path today. Open my path so that we're walking where your spirit desires that we walk and not agendas that we end up getting involved in. And instead, we can walk step and step, step with God and walk willfully in his plan for our lives. That's what keeps you grounded and steadfast. If you're, Don, walking and you're walking in the Spirit, then you're going to be grounded and you're going to be steadfast. The things come against you that come in life, and we're going to talk about this. I may lose half my congregation, half of our congregation has gone today with illness. The other half may leave by the time I'm finished because I'm going to talk about suffering. <laughs> so, it's you know, you don't find many pastors that will preach on suffering, but we're going to today. When we are suffering, what keeps us grounded and steadfast is to know that it's, it's sweet to trust in Jesus. He is sovereign in our lives and that he's in control of things. You know, when I got that phone call from the doctor that was worrisome, that first night was the only night I had sleeping. After that, everybody going, you okay? You're sleeping? I'm sleeping. You know why? Because God's on the throne and I'm not. And I learned that a while back and it sure is a relief when I don't have to worry about all the details anymore. Keeping that faith and keeping hope in our lives. I talked to one of our uh, members this week, and, and they told me, they said, I just feel old. I feel like I have no hope. I feel like I have no purpose. Let me tell you something. If you're taking another breath, God has a purpose for your life. I told that person, I said, if you can't do anything but lay in the bed and pray for your church and pray for this pastor, I selfishly said, then you have a purpose for your life. And it is the pit of hell, it is Satan that comes along and accuses and tells you you have no purpose. We forget that. You know, we, we forget that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We read it, but we don't believe it. You know, we, we really don't. I've, hand me that, that book down there, that Wild at Heart. I'm going to read a thing we talked about today. But we forget that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers in high places. And much of the suffering that we undergo, it comes out of the pit of hell. It's Satan who is after us and doing things. I'll have to dig around here to find it. I may in a minute. But anyway, the main thing that Satan wants to convince you of is that he doesn't exist, okay? Because if you don't know that he exists, then you don't even realize that you're in a war. Let's continue on. So I say, he says, what is lacking in the afflictions? Yeah. He says, now I rejoice, in verse 24, in my sufferings for you and fill up my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Now, this is kind of strange. It looks like 
He's saying, I'm going to make up for the things that Jesus didn't do on the cross. That's kind of what it looks like. And it's some of those complicated and interwoven things that Paul says. For the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery, the mysterion, which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed in his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Almost like saying, you know, uh, let's pray again. Anyway, what I want to talk about is sacrificial service for Christ. It's the suffering that we undergo when we're suffering for him. Okay, Paul says, I rejoice in my suffering for you. He's suffering for the church. Remember, he is in a Roman prison when he writes this. And fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. I want to first off say this is not saying that we add anything by our suffering to the work that Jesus did on the cross. Jesus said three beautiful words on the cross. Do you remember what they were? It is finished. And when he said it is finished, it's finished. You can't add anything to the work of him. But the fact of the matter is that the world, Diane, continues to reject Christ. The world is still causing the people of God to endure suffering. And we're seeing this more and more, aren't we? I'm going to talk about it. We really, really are, especially now. And it's kind of refreshing in a way because finally, in my lifetime, the rubber is meeting the road spiritually. When I was a child, the church kind of looked like the world, and the world looked like the church. Remember when it was the thing to do to go to church? Y'all remember? Well, you know what? It's not the thing to do anymore. The world scoffs at us. They laugh at us. They think this is nonsense that we're doing. Should we be surprised? No. The Bible tells us that the things of God are foolishness to man. Do y'all remember when, and I don't talk about my political affiliation much, but I supported Dr. Ben Carson. Do y'all remember Dr. Ben Carson? Brain surgeon, incredibly intelligent guy, and he was running in the primary to be president of the United States. And I thought, what a great guy. I'm going to back Dr. Carson. And I wrote him a letter and told him how much he meant to me. And he came out and they asked him about creation. He said, yeah, I think God created the earth. And everybody laughed at him. They did. The media tore him apart, said, what a cretin, what a nut, a nutcase this guy is. He's going to try to run the country like the Taliban and all this stuff because he believed in the beginning God cre created the heavens and the earth. He believed what the Bible said, all right? You see that now. People are being canceled. This last couple of weeks ago, there's a guy that's not even a believer. He's an atheist uh, from Canada. I can't remember his name this second. He's a clinician. Yeah, Jordan Peterson, thank you. And he came out and he said, you know, and he's not even a believer. He said that men are men and women are women. And so they took him off Twitter and banned him and all this kind of thing. So you say, you know, well, that's not persecution. Yeah, it is. It's ostracizing people, okay? And the Bible has certain truths that are just true. You know, we know from Genesis 5, 2, that it says male and female created he, them. God created males and females. Does this mean we run around and beat up on people? No, we don't. 
But we are to always speak the truth in love. But even when you speak the truth in love, now it's becoming where that brings you some suffering. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's bringing alienation, and that's okay. I really, my message today is it's all right. God knows that. We're to be people of love that speak the truth in love and not be intimidated. And, and when, when the world won't agree with what is just objective reality. Do you know what objective reality means? When God says that certain things are, okay? I'm, I'm remembering a verse from Isaiah that says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. It doesn't mean we run around and point fingers and go, woe to you, calling. But we, it makes us aware that God is sovereign, that he's in control, that he understands the suffering that we go through. So don't worry about it, okay? We don't need to worry about it. Man's laws cannot make moral what God has declared immoral. Even if a sin is legalized, it's still a sin in the eyes of God. That's the reality, all right? We can... You can legalize wrong all you want, and it's still wrong. Uh, I usually never look at social media ever on Sunday morning. It's just a practice that I, I kind of don't look at it. But this morning, I looked down, and there was a uh, Twitter thing. I got my son, Alex, you're listening to this. He's the one that got me on Twitter. And I saw this person on Twitter saying that, you know, don't shove your religion down our throats. Uh, this is not a Christian country. It never was. And I just wrote the person. I said, you need to go read history. The people that were the founding fathers of this country, most of them were believers in Jesus Christ. And those that weren't were theists. They believe in God, okay? There's one that I'm thinking of that was an atheist, but that's one out of like hundreds, okay? This country was, was and the laws of this country were based on, 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 on Judeo-Christian principles, okay? I've got a book in my pastor's library called The Real War in America, written by an Orthodox rabbi. He's not even a Christian. You're welcome to read that, okay? It's, it's a, a great book where he talks about these things. He says, and, and his hypothesis in the book, and I'm not preaching on Rabbi Lappin's book, but he says that he's saying we need to protect Christians because they're protecting Jews. He said when Judeo-Christian beliefs are gone in this country, we Jews will end up hanging from trees. And that's what he says there. He understands that. Uh, so we're gonna, we're going to undergo persecution. Do y'all remember a couple of three, four weeks ago, I pulled that, that verse out from Acts where, uh, there had been this healing going on and they went to Gamaliel, remember the high priest? And they said, what do we do with these people? Do we kill them? And Gamaliel said, leave them alone. If it's of God, then there's nothing you can do to stop it. Do y'all remember me talking about that? I wanted to look at it again today. And they agreed with him. This is Acts chapter 5, verses 40 through 42. They agreed with him, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. All right, now nobody's out beating us. But beatings could come. I hate to say it, but some of our uh, forefathers in the Baptist uh, Heritage were beaten in this country. They were beaten and they were put on stocks. And I mean, Baptists were really persecuted. It's kind of amazing. And, and, and then 41 says, so they departed from the presence of the council. And what did these disciples consider this beating? They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame and dishonor for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So come what may, y'all. We need to rejoice that we 
count it worthy to suffer for the things that the things of God. Don't worry about it is what I'm saying. I don't like it, but when you're blackballed or you're ostracized and maybe beatings will come later, what did they do? It says they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. That's why I won't cease. They can come arrest me, but I'm going to keep on proclaiming what I'm what I'm saying. So what is this shame? What is this dishonor of which Scripture speaks? Is this a surprise to us? You know, there's a lot of television preachers, and like I said, that maybe I won't, I'll lose part of the congregation. That's okay. That, that tell us, Devin said, they make you think that if you're suffering somehow, then you don't have it right. Do you all know what I'm talking about? That your faith isn't right. That you don't have enough faith. If you had enough faith to send them money, then everything would go, go right in your life, right? All right. What are you saying? Or you, or you can be healed, right? What did Jesus say about all this? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. When we speak for righteousness and we're ostracized or we're laughed at, get over it. God knows about it, and there's a reward in heaven. Blessed are you. He says, blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you. Say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. And then he says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Paul is telling them, I'm suffering. I'm in this Roman jail. I'm getting us back to the text. And, and it's all okay because I'm helping in all of this to bring about your maturity in the faith. And what is maturity again? It's getting to the point where you can say, I'm going to depend on Jesus, right? That's where we're headed with this, this whole sermon this morning. Paul speaks further about even as joint heirs that we're going to suffer. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So part of it is just going to be suffering that comes with being men and women of God. That's really what I wanted to say. For he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared. He said, they have nothing to do with the glory that will be mine and will be revealed in mine later. All right? So just bringing these out, this whole thought of suffering. Then in verses 25 and 26, Paul says that he has become, in the King James and the New King James, sorry, in this case, uh, Gary Bennett, I don't like the New King James. It says they are ministers. He says, I'm a minister to the church. Why do I not like this? Because if I have the name minister, then you have the idea in your mind maybe that any ministry should be done by the minister, right? It doesn't say that in the Greek. It says, Paul says that I am a diakonos, like that's where the word deacon comes from, Jimmy. Uh, Paul is telling, he's telling them that I am a diakonos. I am a servant, okay? I am a servant. We are part of a ministering team. This is a ministering team. I mentioned Linda Bell this morning because now you're head of the ministry team that's going to reach out to Dalton and Felice. She's going, oh, no, I'm quitting the church. I'm not even a voting member. You can't make me that. Oh, yeah, we can. Because God called you that because that's where your heart is, right? And so Larry and I are the spiritual leaders in the church, but we're not the only ministers. Don't call me a minister. Call me a pastor. I like that better. Pastor is our role. It's our function. Uh, we're all ministers together here serving and doing. And, and 
the Lord knits us together as a family, equipping the saints. He has Sonia and Doug in there teaching the couples, okay? Has Sandy teaching the ladies. Has Sam and Heather teaching the kids on Wednesday night. God is orchestrating all of this. <clears throat> so what I say here is funny, and that's all y'all in Texan. It's all y'all. So all y'all. And I'm pointing at Randy and Doreen, but they're ministers. They min Doreen ministers to me greatly, and so does Randy. They have taken such a burden away from me since they came from wherever y'all came from. I don't remember. Somewhere out there. San Diego. I, I wasn't going to say it. Uh, but anyway, they came here just when I needed them. And God provides every step of the way. When each of us do those things, in your heart, Judy, is the health of the congregation. So you said, yeah, I, I can do that. I, I can do this. And you're doing a great job figuring out plans <clears throat> for us if we have a medical emergency. So God is knitting us together. We're ministering together. Don and Linda Bell, you've got ministry coming up this week. We've got ministry to do with Doug's uh, going home service uh, next Saturday. But we're knit together, and it's not just Larry and I that are supposed to do everything. And then Paul talks about this word mysterion, and I think it was you, Dr. House, that taught me a mystery isn't like this spooky thing that we suddenly learn about. But I think you told me that a mysterion, a mystery, is a previously unrevealed truth that is now revealed, okay? And I love that because if we look in the Old Testament, there's no mention of the church. You never see it anywhere. The only, the closest thing that we see to it, I think, is where uh, in the Abrahamic covenant where we see God says, in your seed, he's talking to Abraham, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And we're those nations of the earth. But isn't it odd that, that the church was never revealed? It was this mystery, and Paul calls it that, this mysterion. It was this truth that was there that formerly wasn't revealed that was now revealed. And that got my mind to thinking, and I put in the written sermon today, a verse from Ecclesiastes that says, He makes everything beautiful in His time. God has a time for things. In Hebrew, this is called the Moedim. That means appointed times that He brings about things. And part of the beauty for me of Moedim, seeing things happen, in the way that they happen is you realize, it helps you realize that God's in control of everything. That's why I love these books by Jonathan Kahn, you know, like the Harbinger and everything, because in time, God reveals things at his appointed time. And they're previously not seen, and then they're seen. So that's 25 and 26. And then in 27, 28, and 29, where we're finishing up, 27, Paul tells us that Christ is the hope of glory in us, okay? Him living in us is the glory. It's Christ in us that's the glory, right? There's no glory in us. And listen to this, Doreen. You need to learn this because you don't know this. I'm teasing Doreen. She knows this very well. Our prize is not in working harder. Our prize is not in praying harder. Our prize is not becoming more devoted to Jesus. Instead, our hope of glory is Christ in us. It's Christ is in you. He's the hope of your glory. You can't hope on... You know, and if you say, Lord, I just want to walk in your spirit, you know what? You're going to find you're praying more. You're going to be praying when you go to the barn, when you're milking the gal, Cassandra, when you get in the machine. I don't know, Janie, you're laughing. Do you milk the cow too? Anyway, you go feed the horses. You, you, you just find you're talking to the Lord, okay? And it's just such a sweet way to walk with him and talk with him. He is the gift that is given to every believer. He's given to me and given to you. 
It's the deposit. Uh, Michael, as you, Havens taught us that when we first came to know the Lord, he deposited his Holy Spirit within us. His power is the power that lives in us. It is his power in you, Mac, that enables you to live the life you ought to be living. It ain't going to be in your power. You're not powerful enough. Sorry. Even if Claudette thinks you are. All right. It's the power of the Lord to change us and to change our lives that's within us. He matures us. He teaches us. You know what, Janie? If you'll let him, he'll do the work for you. And he does the work for you. And then we go on last or not next to last to verse 28. This says, Paul says, we proclaim him admonishing. That means warning and counseling every man. That's why I said we're going to have, we're in a time period, y'all, where it's getting uncomfortable where we're going to speak the truth, but we're going to speak it in love. We're going to agree to do it in love because that's what God tells us. And it's exciting. It might mean that we're ostracized, but it's time for us to speak up because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers in high places. It's not the minister of health that's our problem, okay, or whoever that guy is that wears the dress, okay. I don't know what his name is. I can't remember. He's not the problem. It's the force that's behind him. Don't you understand? And Satan uses people on the earth that don't even know they're being used. Really. It's just the, it's the, it's the world, the flesh, and the devil. So it's good to realize that so then you don't run around hating on people. Do you all understand what I mean? Realize that if it's something that's against biblical truth, then there's something deeper behind it all. You all follow what I'm saying? And identify it as such and get in a prayer battle about it. Uh, get in, get in the trenches and pray. So we will proclaim that's warning and counseling every man. And we teach every man wisdom. I come and I try to give you all knowledge that I dig up from the, the word, but I don't leave it at knowledge. Knowledge alone doesn't do you a whole lot of good. I'm sorry. It just doesn't knowledge puffs up. And not only that, it's like I, I one time said it, people that are all head are like a cabbage. All right. Y'all seen a cabbage out in the garden. It's all head. You've got to have that applied to your heart, and that is where wisdom comes in. With sound teaching, by studying the Bible, the illumination of the Holy Spirit, looking to people that have dug into this stuff, we dig it out, and we have not only the knowledge of the Lord, but the wisdom of the Lord. You've got to have the both, or you don't have much. That's part of our ministry. We must warn, we must give knowledge, and, Larry, we give understanding along with that knowledge. I, as I say here, I try every week to provide you guys with knowledge, but to follow it up with wisdom. Uh, I had a great compliment from somebody here I'm not going to name, who's a theologian, uh, written a bunch of books. So, uh, <laughs> And he said, he, he said, no, I'm not talking about you when I'm talking about your wife. I'm, te I'm teasing. No, it's Dr. House. He said to me a great compliment. He said, I've never seen a pastor take what you do and then tell how to apply it to your life. To me... If I don't know how to apply it to my life, I'm just really not interested in it. It's kind of interesting, but I don't. I want something that's going to change me, don't y'all? And, and the power of God's Word is a power to change. It makes me where I get from where tis so sweet to trust in favor to tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. It's kind of where we're ending back up. J.D., you think that's funny. So that's the part that tells us how to apply what we've learned. And so Paul says in verse 29, all of this is about spiritual maturity. The goal, guys, is maturity. All Scripture, this is from 2 Timothy, Paul talking to the pastor Timothy, 
All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It means it comes from God. This is the Old and New Testament. It's profitable for doctrine. That means sound doctrine, understanding the truths of God. For reproof, that's correcting you. For correction and for instruction in righteousness. And what is the goal of a studying God's word? Is it just to know more? What does it say? That the man, and I'm going to add, or woman of God may be complete. It completes you. Thoroughly equipping you, y'all, all y'all in Texan, for every good work. When we study God's word, the purpose is exactly what Paul is saying here. He's saying, I'm writing this to you. I'm loving you all in this because my goal is that you will be mature, okay? So what is maturity? Is it quoting more verses, praying harder, winning more to Christ? You know what maturity is? It's taken me to be 66-year-old Tim to understand maturity is learning to trust Jesus. You can trust him with your job, Bill Laird. You can trust him with your health, Fred Lepovitz. You can trust him with whether or not you're going to move or not, Mac and Sylvia. One week they're going to move. The next week they're going to stay. They're going to move. It doesn't matter. You can trust him with that. It doesn't matter. However that ends up, we can trust him with every facet of our life. And isn't it sweet to be able to trust Jesus? I don't just sing that. I believe it now. It wasn't until I was in my early 20s that I ever heard the song, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. I'd moved to, to Raleigh, North Carolina, and I thought, I think I'll go to a Baptist church. That sounds like an interesting thing to do, and it was nearby because I'd never been a member of a Baptist church. And I went to this church, and it was on a Wednesday night called Forest Hills Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, and they sang that night, Trust and Obey, and tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. And when I heard those songs, my heart was broken to the point where I said, wow, where has this song been my whole life? Because it is sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word, all right? You want to take him at his word, you have to know his word. So I encourage you this week, know the word of God, study the word of God, apply the word of God, because it is so sweet to trust in Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Pastor House, Dr. House, would you close us in prayer, please, as the worship team comes up?